The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, cynicism, and a series of complaints. This is COVID normal. It's Saturday, the 16th of May 2020, and New Zealand's health minister is getting cocky. Around the world, we have seen the virus spread at funerals, as well as a second wave of infection taking hold just as countries were getting on top of the virus like we are now. Yes, that's New Zealand's Health Minister David Clark speaking on uh, Tuesday, I think it was. Now, I listened carefully to that. The sound at the end of the word countries is ease, and the sound at the end of cunts is ts. They're different. And what we hear there is the latter. Cunts. Cunts. That's ts, not ease. Now, on Twitter, uh, J2DK agrees. On Saturday, he told me, oh, that's today. It's real and it's a known thing among voice coaches and media trainers to warn people about. When speaking the word countries, your brain wants to jump to the next word before your mouth has finished. Uh, The re doesn't make the jump. Had a client do this on live radio once. Uh, And uh, this guy goes on to say, I was listening in. That is to the New Zealand radio feed. They dropped it, continued on a few words, and then the enormity of what they'd said crushed them. I try to encourage people to only say country if they can. The plural countries or singular possessive countries are where the danger lies. The S is dangerous. And he's right. Look, careful listeners to this very podcast may sometimes notice that I miss syllables in words sometimes. But then a guy whose uh, Twitter uh, uh, name bit is Tim Eat My Piss Bat, B-A-T-T, I see what he did there. Uh, he's the guy who posted the clip and he said, well, few RTs on this one. Turns out it was an audio glitch on the specific Radio New Zealand stream, which I didn't know at the time. But you know what? We need a laugh right now. And this is a golden moment. Let us have it. And I think Tim's right. I can see, now that I look back, a slight video glitch that's near the alleged cunt. But hey, let's have this one, because we are seeing a second wave just as cunts were getting on top of the virus. And are you afraid? Because I'm afraid. Hello, I'm still Gary, and this is the 9pm His Plague Diary episode 9. Unfortunately, uh, the podcast distribution services won't let me call it the uh, inadvertent cunt episode, but... What can you do? Uh, This is, for me, day 60 of the quarantines. Day 60. That's two months. But as Rich Preston at the BBC noticed, it's only four months since the very first person died from a mysterious new disease in central China. That was on the 11th of January 2020. Uh, Rich Preston has been covering the story since that, that night. And he posted this the other day. This was the BBC's first TV report into what we now call coronavirus. And he says, it feels so surreal to watch this now. And indeed, it does feel quite surreal. Officials say the 61-year-old man shopped regularly at this seafood market and that it was the source of the virus. It's been sealed off by police and disinfected. The outbreak began in December in the central city of Wuhan, home to more than 11 million people. The man was initially taken here with flu-like symptoms. 
Officials say around 40 more people are affected, some of them in a critical condition, but that many hundreds of others have come into contact with an infected person. Chinese health officials insist the situation's in hand. It's largely under control. Most patients are showing lighter symptoms and some of them have already been discharged. Officials say they've managed to sequence this virus's genetic structure and that it's from the same family as SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. In 2003, Chinese officials were accused of trying to cover up a SARS outbreak which spread rapidly, leading to more than 8,000 reported cases and killing more than 770 people. At least in this instance, authorities say they've acted early and that the virus is contained. Rich Preston, BBC News. Killed up to 770 people. There have been more than 80,000 deaths in the United States alone. Here in uh, New South Wales and more broadly across Australia, the uh, isolation restrictions are starting to lift. Uh, People in New South Wales are now able to eat in a cafe or restaurant, provided it's no more than 10 people at a time and no more than one person per four square metres inside the place. It's a start. I haven't had a chance to uh, check it out yet. But apparently, it's all going to lead to a curry-led recovery. Bad call from the government is you go and have a curry for the Go and have a, a curry for the country. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to tell the Prime Minister that one. A curry for the country, I love it. I love Indian food. It's my favourite food. I promise you I will do that. <laughs> uh, the dulcet tones there are the Minister for Employment, Senator Michaelia Cash. Oh, dear. On Friday, Prime Minister Scott Morrison noted that this thing they invented called the National Cabinet, i.e. him plus uh, the state premiers and the territory's chief ministers, has ended up meaning that the state and federal leaders have met more times in the last two months than in the previous 10 years. What does that tell you about our federation, eh? Let's hear a little more from Australia's greatest orator. We have put the supports in place, both the health supports and the economic supports, to help Australians through this very difficult time. And indeed, this time last week, uh, we made the decisions to put the framework together, which is now being followed, those three steps, which is reopening Australia and taking those first steps to see Australians get back into those jobs. Now the task is to really build that confidence and to get that momentum going as we move to the next challenge, which is to reset the Australian economy for growth to support Australians and their livelihoods well into the future. The economy. Sigh. A few weeks ago, Morrison was framing this as a two-part battle, wasn't he? The pandemic and the economy. And now he seems to be saying, well, the pandemic's fixed. I suppose it is. He's dumped it all back to the states. But for you, dear citizens, back to work, back to your jobs. Today, the National Cabinet was briefed by Dr Kennedy, the head of Treasury, Dr Lowe, the head of Reserve Bank, and Wayne Byers, the head of APRA. It was an opportunity, an important one, to be briefed fully on yesterday's unemployment figures. 
and how it was impacting across the country. It was also an, an opportunity uh, for premiers and chief ministers and I to reaffirm our commitment to see how we can work together and how we will work together to get those Australians back into jobs. That is the curve we are now working on together. Then came a whole bunch of stuff about how there isn't endless flexibility in the system, that's the economic system, that there's enough credit to support those businesses that are choosing to reopen. There was a lot of boasting about good a government they are, eh? And they've done so many things and it's all working. Look, maybe everything is going okay with the health aspects. After all, health services are a state and territory matter and it is the job of something like a national cabinet to start then thinking ahead. And admittedly, Morrison did come back to talking about the lockdown and such, kinda. Right now, the focus and the advice is rightly uh, from our economic advisers on opening up our economy safely. And I'm so pleased that one week down from announcing that three-step process, that states and territories are overwhelmingly uh, moving through step one. And uh, in particular today, the Northern Territory Chief Minister was able to pull the first brew. Um, I, I did ask him why it was such an, a late opening in Northern Territory um, on, a, on a day, but uh, I'm sure that'll be something celebrated up there in, in Darwin today. And while there are not, there's not too much to celebrate more broadly as a country with the difficult circumstances we face, and particularly with yesterday's unemployment numbers, um, it is, I think, a welcome sign that we are on the road back. And as businesses and cafes and others are opened up this weekend, those businesses knowing that at just 10 patrons at a time, that won't necessarily be a profitable patronage for them to really sustain that. They're backing themselves, they're backing their staff, they're backing their communities and they're backing their country. And I want to commend them for that brave step that they're taking this weekend. Good on you for reopening. And I'm sure your patrons will come and, and to support you strongly as well. Yes, yeah, she'll be right, mate. The Chief Minister of the Northern Territory has poured a beer. Fuck me. OK, look, we are slowly starting to lift the lockdown. We do have very few, if any, uh, new COVID-19 positive test results coming back in most of the states, sure, maybe this will work. And before I go any further, let me just sort of throw in a piece of good news that tell us the time is over. You know how uh, an episode or two ago, I played a Eurovision-inspired song written by an artificial intelligence. This was uh, kind of to replace Eurovision this year, uh, Denmark, that was going to be hosting Eurovision. Is that correct? Whatever, you can look this up yourself. Anyway, I played the song. The Australian song won. And so I think we deserve to hear that again. This And, and you can click through to the video, obviously. This is Uncanny Valley, with the, which is an intelligence of sorts. Beautiful the world.
I don't think we're going to replace human Eurovision anytime soon. Meanwhile, in oh, but congratulations to the team, obviously. Meanwhile, in the America, a South Carolina restaurant is using dressed-up blow-up dolls to fill empty tables as people maintain safe social distancing. I might even kiss one of those dolls for tonight's over. <laughs> I think you'll have to buy her a drink first. Uh, if she can drink it, I'll buy it. Rob Carter is a customer. Owners of the Open Hearth restaurant say it's a nicer alternative than using caution tape to keep customers six feet apart. And so far, the restaurant has spent around $140 on 10 dolls. 
it's a concept that is not frightening to people and it gives them something, once again, light to think about instead of virus and X's everywhere. That's the restaurant owner, uh, Paula Starr-Balehis. Uh, and by X's everywhere, she means crosses made out of yellow caution tape, not a restaurant full of all of your ex-partners, though that sounds kind of like a dream I had the other night, but that's a story for another time. Uh, this South Carolina restaurant is not the uh, only one in the States to think of of kind of how you recreate the atmosphere when the place is half empty. Uh, there's uh, a place in Virginia, uh, which is a three-star Michelin-starred generation, which is called uh, In at Little Washington. The chef, uh, who majored in drama of college, because of course he did, he's been working with a local theatre company to fill half of the tables in the restaurant with faux humans costumed in 1940s-era garb. And and he's going a bit further. He's actually having the restaurant servers pour them wine and ask them about their evening, even though they're dummies. They're in Virginia. Of course they are. I mean, I find all of that kind of a positive because it means people are finding ways to psychologically adapt and adjust and help during the quarantines. Oh, it's creepy as all fuck, but they're having a go, right? Well, in the US, uh, things are not so good out west. Doctors Without Borders, Medicine Sans Frontiers, has launched a mission within the United States itself. They've sent a team to the Navajo Nation. Doctors Without Borders spokesman Nico Dotorif told The Hill that in April, nine professionals were sent to help the Navajo Nation in the southwest U.S. battle the COVID-19 outbreak. The international group typically sends health professionals to conflict zones around the world during medical disasters. The coronavirus pandemic marks the first time it has dispatched teams within the U.S. Gene Stowell, the head of the U.S. COVID-19 response team, told CBS News that the team consists of doctors, nurses and midwives, and other health professionals. With a population of 170,000, the Navajo Nation is the largest tribe in the U.S. The Navajo Nation has more coronavirus cases per capita than any U.S. state. Indigenous people being affected more by a pandemic than white folk. Who would have known? I'm sure that would never happen in Australia. Which brings us to the greatest leader in the world, Donald J. Trump. I mean, I play a lot of Trump because, as I've said before, what he does matters. But this really does get more and more depressing. Here he is speaking at uh, one of his, his kind of lengthy press events this week. The moment this terrible virus reached our shores, each of you has worked relentlessly to get the vital supplies to our healthcare warriors. And they are warriors, aren't they? When you see them going into those hospitals and they're putting the stuff that you deliver, but they're wrapping themselves and the doors are opening and they're going through the doors and they're not even ready to go through those doors. They probably shouldn't. 
but they can't get there fast enough and they're running into death just like uh, soldiers run into bullets in a true sense i see that with the doctors and the nurses and so many of the people that go into those hospitals it's incredible to see it's, it's a beautiful thing to see but uh, but uh nothing like what the fuck was that it is really hard to convey just how stupid trump is I know we shouldn't be surprised by this anymore. I mean, the man is just so fucking dumb. But in a way, um, as this clip, it's another clip from the same press conference. I mean, there is a certain naive logic in his orange-coated brain. Don't forget, we have more cases than anybody in the world. But why? Because we do more testing. When you test, you have a case. When you test, you find something is wrong with people. If we didn't do any testing, we would have very few cases. They don't want to write that. It's common sense. So we test much more, many, many times. South Korea, you hear about. I spoke with the president of South Korea. spoke with many different presidents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoke with these people. Do this. I know all about that. What a cunt. And, and Trump certainly has problems with, like, the whole concept of tests. As you may remember last time, I mentioned that a White House uh, person, someone who works uh, on the White House compound, had tested COVID-19 positive. Well, apparently there's a second one, but Trump, Trump just can't get his head around how that happened. Can you bring us up to speed about the number of vice president's staff who is now tested positive for coronavirus? This is now the second staff for yeah. the West Wing. Yeah, well, I don't know much about it. Does anybody want to talk about it? It's uh, she's a wonderful young woman, uh, Katie. She tested uh, very good for a long period of time, and then all of a sudden today she tested positive. Uh, she hasn't come into contact with me. She spent some time with uh, the vice president. Uh, it's, uh, I believe, the press person, right? You'd say press person. So uh, she tested positive out of the blue. This is why the whole concept of tests aren't necessarily great. The tests are perfect, but something can happen between a test where it's good and then something happens and all of a sudden she was tested uh, very recently and tested negative. And then today, I guess, for some reason, she tested positive. So Mike knows about it and Mike has uh, done what he has to do. I think he is uh, on an airplane going to some faraway place, uh, but uh, you'll be able to ask him later on. But they've taken all of the necessary precautions. Uh, I understand Mike has been tested, vice president, and he tested negative. So that's okay. But these tests, they're a mystery, right? I mean, one day, one day you test negative, and then the next day, for some reason or other, you test positive. I wonder what causes that. Trump and uh, people in his task force have been rather sceptical about the numbers and that's the number of cases and they want the methodology changed, apparently. There's links, of course, to all these reports on the website. I shouldn't have to tell you that's where they are, but apparently some of you have trouble with that, but that's okay. So the White House has pressed the Centers for Diseases Control in particular to work with the states to change how they count coronavirus deaths 
and then report them back to the federal government. This is based on, quote, to officials with knowledge of those conversations. Uh, So essentially the White House wants to not count as a coronavirus death an individual who either does not have confirmed lab results and are just being presumed positive or who have COVID-19 but may not have died as a direct result of it. And three senior administration officials, as described in its report, have said that's what they're trying to do. So some anecdata. Last uh, week I mentioned my friend's landlady in D.C., who'd lost two relatives to COVID-19. Well, she's lost a third person close to her now. And she had to pressure the hospital into correctly recording one of the earlier deaths as due to COVID-19 because that person was getting on a bit and had health problems. And, ah, well, they died of that. America, right? And at the state level, of course, they're trying to show that they're doing the right thing. Uh, In Nebraska... Uh, so where there are meatpacking plants, the infection rates were climbing, so health officials have just stopped reporting the numbers. So basically, uh, yeah, people are dying, we're just not telling you who and which ones and whether they're at meatpacking plants or not. Which brings me to uh, probably the, the second smartest man in the United States administration uh, at the moment, Jared Kushner. And this is from a a report in GQ. And I must say GQ has been doing some really solid reporting on all of this. So apparently Jared Kushner uh, convinced Trump in March that coronavirus testing was a bad idea. So even though this week we had America leads the world in testing, which is a lie, and really obviously so, uh, Jared wanted to delay rolling out the tests uh, because that would spook the market. So don't roll out the tests. Don't order too many ventilators. That would spook the stock market. And apparently that advice worked far more powerfully on Trump than what scientists were saying because he thinks scientists always exaggerate. And we've seen that, haven't we? Right. I mean, Trump is constantly talking about the stock market response because that's the only measure in his tiny little orange-coated brain that matters. The same GQ article says that one White House official told the Financial Times, apparently it's the Financial Times that first broke this, uh, this official said, Advising Trump is like bringing fruits to the volcano to convince it not to erupt. Quote, you're trying to appease a great force that's impervious to reason. Trump is, of course, uh, spreading a lot more lies. Uh, For example, uh, they're saying that... uh, The Obama administration didn't leave any kind of game plan for something like this. They were left in the dark. And you may have seen in previous episodes, I've said that they're claiming the tests Obama left didn't work, which is probably true because Obama was well out of office before SARS-CoV-2 was ever known. Honestly, how could Obama not predict the future? 
Well, on the Twitter is Ronald Klain, who was in the Obama administration. See how I skipped a syllable there? Administration. The Obama administration. He was actually the Ebola Tsar in that administration, and he tweeted uh, this week, quote, We literally left them a 69-page pandemic playbook that they ignored and an office called the Pandemic Preparedness Office that they abolished and a global monitoring system called PREDICT that they cut by 75%. Still, Trump is correct, right? Trump always speaks the truth. And there was a survey out this week that said the majority of white evangelicals trust Trump as their main coronavirus news source. Yes, in this survey, and check it, it was done by Pew and others, it's it's a legit survey, Trump came in as the number one trusted source of coronavirus information with 51.7% of people trusting him. Now, all these numbers are just because people could list more than one. So this is how much they trusted each one. National news followed 47.4%. And remember, national include, uh, news includes both Fox and everyone else. Local news, 44.3%. Public health officials, 41.7%. Sorry. Governors, state governors, 318 Friends and family, 15.4%. Online forums, 89 And lastly, Former Vice President Joe Biden at 3%. Okay, look, don't trust politicians for their advice. But isn't it interesting that people trust Trump a full seven percentage points more than they trust public health officials? Sorry, that's the local news. They trust Trump 10 percentage points more than health officials. And on top of that, 65% of those surveyed said Trump's response to the virus had been about right, although they're the kind of numbers we see in Australia, but only 30% of the general public agreed that Trump has been about right, the evangelicals trusting Trump twice as much. Uh, And 37% of white evangelicals said public health officials and experts were exaggerating how dangerous or widespread the coronavirus is. And I really should have grabbed the clip because there's a clip kicking around online that shows like a TV camera operator just walking through a crowd of protesters. And they are haranguing him about being a liar, about being fake news, about being the enemy of the public. What's heartening, I suppose, is that Trump has a new missile. They call it the super duper missile. And I heard the other night 17 times faster than what they have right now. Then you take the fastest missile. It's a super duper missile. I get kind of hot when Trump talks technical. I hope you do too. If you've been uh, following these, his plague diary. Uh, episodes, this is number nine, as I said at the front, Uh, you'll know that I've been following the tale of the USS Theodore Roosevelt and its captain, Captain Brett Crozier, uh, which was the first uh, US naval ship, as far as I know, certainly the first major one uh, to be hit with a COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, The news this week is that 
while Captain Brett Crozier seems to be doing fine in his new job and uh, people are clearing his name slowly through the bureaucratic process that is the Pentagon, five sailors aboard the Roosevelt have tested positive for COVID-19, even although they appeared to have recovered. So the ship's back in quarantine. Uh, These sailors tested positive for the virus after the aircraft carrier docked in Guam in March, but were cleared to return to the ship after a pair of negative tests uh, came back spaced a day or two apart. Uh, And uh, from this Reuters report, the seemingly mysterious resurgence of the infections interests researchers trying to understand the novel virus, including how immunity works. Yeah, I bet it does. That's one to watch. Meanwhile, in China, the city of Wuhan, which I remind you has a population of 11 million people, plans to retest everyone for COVID-19 over the next 10 days. Because apparently they had another small outbreak. They had cleared everyone, they said. Well, they've had another few cases. I can't remember whether it's 8 or 11 at the time of recording. So they have then asked every district in the city to submit a detailed testing plan by Tuesday, just gone for their respective area, to test 11 million people in 10 days. Now, whether that's a thing or not, I don't know. Whether it can happen or not, I don't know. But this is, this is their approach. And in Canada... Mark Richardson works for the Canadian federal government. They sent him, and presumably all of his colleagues, an email with some guiding principles while they're working at home. Here's what they are. Working remotely, COVID-19 principles. One, you are not working from home. You are at your home during a crisis trying to work. Two, Your personal, physical, mental and emotional health is far more important than anything else right now. Three, you should not try to compensate for lost productivity by working longer hours. Four, you will be kind to yourself and not judge how you are coping based on how you see others coping. Five, you will be kind to others and not judge how they are coping based on how you are coping. And six, your team's success will not be measured the same way it was when things were normal. That's the Canadian federal government, folks. And as Mark Richardson says, it's amazing to work for a place that speaks like this. Yeah, it is. Show that to your bosses. There's a, an image you can download linked from the website and all of that stuff, as you know. Back in Australia, as you know, I've been concerned about just how useful and effective the government's COVID-safe contact tracing app will be. I was therefore uh, very interested to see some modelling done by some epidemiologists at Oxford University uh, come up this week. So they've been looking at those numbers of, okay, what is the impact of a contact tracing app based on uh, how much the take-up is in the population uh, and so on and so forth. So the Oxford data said that if 80% of smartphone users 
and in the UK, that's 56% of the population. Uh, it's roughly the same figures in Australia, where, where take-up of smartphones possibly slightly more. Anyway, that that could effectively contain the epidemic. But here's the problem. There's an assumption that the app will reliably detect close contacts. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to quote a bit from, uh, because I couldn't be asked looking up the original research myself, uh, but uh, I'm quoting a speech the other day in Parliament by Tim Watts MP, who's uh, Labor's shadow, uh, shadow Assistant Minister for Communications and Shadow Assistant Minister for Cybersecurity, but he's been uh, looking at this stuff. Uh, and, and indeed, he's been present at some online seminars that I've been at uh, and, and yeah, he's across this. So here's the thing. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I misplaced my spot here. The Oxford University modelling that it would work assumed that 80% of the people had registered the app, as I've said, uh, and... There's, there's kind of a failure rate in there. But there's an Australian researcher, Dr. Adam Dunn, at the University of Sydney, who's had a look at this. And he's he's done the numbers uh, on a similar model. If 70% of Australians download the app, and they haven't, and the app registered all potential contacts, which it won't, but given those two things, half of all contacts could be caught by the app could be caught by the app. That's 70% of us download it and the app registers all of the potential contacts. Now, in contrast to that, if only 40% of the population download the app, which is still pretty high and higher than we're at at the moment, but it only detects half of the potential digital handshakes, then that's only going to log 4% of all potential contacts. That's less than 1 in 20. And we've seen data this week, and you'll find a rant on my website about this that I did for ABC Radio. There's, there's a whole lot of reasons why this Bluetooth low energy exchange will probably not be as effective as the government hopes, if for no other reason... If you stick the phone in your pocket, it's going to affect the signal. Affect the signal. If you're in a more crowded environment, ironically, us big blobby, watery blobs of humans will block the signal and reduce its range. So this is all down to the bit that we don't actually know. And this is why I'm worried. Also this week on Wednesday, during the Senate debate on this, and this really shits me because this really happened, Senator Maurice Payne, New South Wales, Minister for Foreign Affairs and the Minister for Women, she said this. The approach to easing of restrictions, as you will have seen through the National Cabinet process, uh, is, uh, is based on the health advice that's received through the AHPPC. Uh, that's the Australian Health Protection Principle Committee. What it's possible for Australia and Australians to do in states and territories, um, your state, my state, quite different in, uh, in their approaches, uh, are, uh, are using that as the premise, not uh, based on the number of people who have downloaded the app. Senator Murray Watt 
ALP Queensland. So the decisions around the easing of restrictions are not linked to any the achievement of any particular rate of uh, downloading the app. Senator Payne, well, her microphone wasn't turned up, but she said that's correct. So the entire claim by the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, that if we wanted a beer at the pub, then we needed to download the app, was a lie. Still in Australia. Uh, We're all a go with conspiracy theories this week. Uh, There was an anti-lockdown protest in Melbourne on Sunday and a smaller one in Sydney. Uh, The one in Melbourne had about 100 people. No lockdowns! They're blaming the government and the media for the spread of misinformation and the demonstrators are demanding the arrest of Bill Gates because, as I've explained before, Bill Gates is paying for the development through his secret connections of a liquid microchip in the form of vaccine to take over control of our minds. And one of the speakers had displayed a dossier proving that coronavirus is a conspiracy. And yes, they called for the arrest of Bill Gates. Also this week in Australia, the Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing has been fined $150,000 for selling bleach as a healing substance. Uh, The Australian website for the church, MMS Australia, falsely claimed the solution could treat, cure, prevent and alleviate diseases including HIV, cancer and COVID-19. So the Therapeutic Goods Administration uh, tends to frown upon that sort of thing. Uh, The solution contains sodium uh, sodium chloride, a chemical used, of course, as a textile bleaching agent and disinfectant. Please don't buy this stuff and wash in it or breathe it or huff it or inject it or anything like that. It's not good for you. The TGA fined them $150,000. It's still on sale. Well, as we near the end of the podcast, uh, thank you to you as always, the generous listeners, uh, for your contributions and uh, subscriptions. Uh, This episode, thanks to Simon Harris again. He's a bit of a regular. And also special thanks to those who uh, sent drinks or funds for same because it was my birthday last weekend one with a zero at the end uh and and saying things are not to support the podcast but uh, a birthday gift are much better for tax reasons so thanks to adam fitz oh should i list all in it oh fuck it i'll do it adam fitzpatrick bob ogden Father Carl Sinclair, who I'm sure is convinced this will get me to join the Catholic Church, but <laughs> no, mate. James Turner, Jody Miners, Mark Newton, Michael Rowe, Nick Andrew, Peter Lawler, Oberon's Ghost from the Twitters, Old Scarab from the Twitters, Silvano from the Twitters, or Silmobile from the Twitters, uh, and one person who's choosing to remain anonymous, uh, as opposed to all those I probably should have kept uh, anonymous. Anyway, if you'd like to join them, 
and I'd, I'd love it if you did. Uh, obviously, during the quarantines, we we all have quite a lot going on. So, you know, this is this is only a gentle push. But if if this fits in with your uh, plans and worldviews, uh, then please go to stillgarian.com slash tip. That's stillgarian.com slash tip. There's all sorts of ways to send me money because the international banking and finance system loves that money to flow because, of course, they scrape a percentage off every single drip and drop. Wow, that's the the first time I've played the podcast's usual theme music uh, in nine weeks at all during uh, the His Plague Diary series, mostly because I thought, I want this to be a bit more introspective. We're dealing with a lot in these quarantines and the whole, yeah, yeah, news, whatever, seems really quite out of place. But I played it because I wanted to make a bit of a transition into this next bit, which is about whiskey. Now, I said it was my birthday last week. Uh... And I made a couple of notes in my notebook, pen on paper. And uh, my handwriting is atrocious, so I had to uh, crowdsource some advice on how to read my own handwriting uh, this afternoon. And that's why Orbital's Belfast is playing in the background. Beautiful, beautiful tune. Because that's what I was listening to last week and thinking about this. And I wrote down a few words about whiskey because uh, I was sent some really fine whiskey. And as I, oh, a bit more. And as I uh, thought about it, I wrote down these things, which are kind of a poem. And I wanted to end with this, or nearly end with this. So I'm calling this on whiskey number one. The heft of the glass, the glint of the light, the scent of the peat, the burn on the tongue, the aftertaste, such complexity. And then the sense of mortality, the pause. Why, why did I do this? That little puddle of poison that both deadens and liberates. Whiskey's pretty good, eh? Before I go, uh, each episode I've been trying to throw in a glimmer of hope. Two items again this week. First, tobacco companies are coming to our rescue. Uh, There's an experimental COVID-19 vaccine being developed by cigarette maker British American Tobacco PLC. They're about to start testing in humans. Uh, pre-clinical, test, uh, pre-clinical tests of the vaccine show a positive immune response. I said that on Friday, yesterday. And the first phase of human trials of a tobacco company's vaccine could begin as soon as late June. I wonder if Bill Gates is funding that one. And finally, you're going to have to go to the podcast website 
to look up this. Uh, it's a story from the Philippines, from the Philippines Star news site. Uh, and I, I will put one of the photographs at the head of the the webpage, but you really do need to see, need to see all three because they're much better. In Quezon City last Sunday, in some shops, they've done what many places are doing. They're marking out on the street 1.5 metres or 2 metres apart where people can stand uh, and uh, in line and wait to get into the shops. So in Quezon City, in this place, they painted little white circles for people to stand on, metre and a half apart. And the photos show cats sitting neatly in the middle of each one. Because, of course, it's a thing for them to sit on. Look it up. Cats are great. Cats do geometry. Cats' brains run on it. Well, that's the edict for now. Until next time, I'm Stilgarian. Wash your hands. The 9pm edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.